Hello there and welcome to episode eight of the Or So She Says podcast. My name is Narissa Shea and I am a personal trainer, nutritionist, sport and exercise psychology consultant, a yoga instructor and a professional Irish dancer. I am so buzzing for today's episode. Today I will be chatting with Sarah Hawkins, an AFN registered associate nutritionist and yoga teacher who specializes in gut health. She works one-to-one with a range of clients from different backgrounds, helping them to improve their gut symptoms, manage their IBS, and improve their relationship with food. Taking a non-judgmental approach, she works together with her clients to empower them with the tools and strategies to better manage their health. I met Sarah a few years back at a women's circle in Dublin, and we just clicked straight away. She is just a shining light with such incredible energy. And she is just so passionate about helping people. So I am just so, so grateful to have her on the show today. She is such an incredible person and she is a fountain of knowledge. I really hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed recording it. And remember, if you like this episode and found it helpful, please, please, please feel free to share it with your friends, family, share it on social media, maybe give it an old like, subscribe and a rating. It goes such a long way in helping small content creators like myself spread a very important message. So without further ado, here we go with episode eight of the Or So She Says podcast with the incredible Sarah Hawkins. Hello, Sarah. How are you? And welcome. How are you doing? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I'm actually delighted to have you on. We met back, was it two years ago now? That women's circle in Dublin. I think it was 2020. Stop. So yeah, I think that I'm sure because I was doing my yoga teacher training, that was August 2020. Oh my God. No, yeah. you're right. Because that's when I was living in Dublin. We were only saying this before we came on, like about how quick the years are going now. And it's actually just terrifying me. Now you said that, I was like, it's definitely two years. And I was like, oh my God, it is three years. Anyway, we met at the Women's Circle and oh my God, it was amazing. And I just love your energy. And then I love your passion. I love everything that you do. So before we jump in, for anyone who doesn't know you, do you want to give a little introduction about who you are, what you do, who you work with? Yeah, so hi, everybody. Um, My name is Sarah. I am a nutritionist and a yoga teacher, and I generally work with people with digestive health issues and disordered eating. So my business is called Food is Good or Fig Nutrition. So I kind of combine nutrition and yoga to help people to beat the bloat without cutting out more food and really helping them to promote a happy and healthier relationship to food. So kind of the individuals who come to me tend to have chronic digestive issues, maybe kind of bloating, loose stools, reflux, constipation, all that kind of jazz, IBS, whatever you have. And most of them have tried, you know, all the sort of elimination diets. They have quite a limited food sort of intake, which is maybe worsening their symptoms. They maybe have to develop a bit of a poor relationship with food, maybe kind of food fears and that sort of a thing. So my role is to help them to really diversify their diet get that food back into their diet and then kind of focusing on a more holistic approach to overcoming their digestive issues. So looking at stress management, movement, sleep, and their relationship food is always a big one. Um, So sometimes there can be emotional eating involved. Sometimes there can be binge eating involved. 
Um, sometimes they're two completely different individuals, could be somebody who's no digestive issues and suffers with disordered eating. Uh, yeah, my role is basically to help them to find their personal kind of digestive health toolkit, really focusing on the wider picture rather than just the food. Yeah, you take such a good like holistic view. Like I was I was actually going through your Instagram page. Now I follow you for years anyway, but I was going through it and I was like, you really, really encompass everything. You don't just talk about one thing. Like, I mean, you're talking about sleep, you're talking about stress because I often find like when clients come to me and stuff like that and they tend to box things off. They're like, oh, I'm an emotionally or, or I'm this and I'm that. And I'm like, but you know what? Like there's so many factors that come into play with regards to any of these. So like what you said, it might be someone coming with digestive issues, but actually then they'll find maybe sometimes they're emotionally. And then I'm always like, you have to look at things like it's a big snapshot. It's not just the food. What's your lifestyle choices? What's your stress levels like? You're probably like me. We send out these big questionnaires and people are like, why are you asking me about my stress levels? Like, why aren't you just asking me about how my food on and I'm like because it all comes into play and I love that I actually this segues really nicely on because obviously I've followed you for years but I've always looked at your Instagram but just before you came on like I actually went onto your website and something that struck me straight away is you talk about your values and your business values and maybe this new business values are actually like they kind of sound like a little bit core values as well and you talked about like freedom connection kindness curiosity non-judgment like the importance of knowing your values. Do you actually think this plays a vital role with regards to people's relationship with food? We'll jump straight in with the nitty gritty stuff. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, those values definitely came from my own. I think that I'm like when I think of like the freedom side of things very much in terms of that food freedom when you've been so limited with what you're, you're eating for so long and that was also something that I experienced a number of years ago so that's a really big one for me that we should be able to go out and enjoy all foods that we want to spend time with our friends and not be worried about where we're going or what we're going to eat or what might happen or whether like kind of toilet is and that sort of thing then in terms of curiosity I suppose for me I've always been a very curious person like my poor mother over the years I was always like why 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 about everything it's like it's just how it is get over it so I find I'm very curious of like, okay, well, anyone who's worked with me, they'll be sick again of me saying, but why do you think that is? Or why do you think that's that's causing that or that sort of a thing? Um, so that curiosity, I think is so important in these aspects where I'm suffering with digestive issues, but we need to find out why, what is driving that? Is it stress? Is it sleep? Is it something going on in your life? Is it emotional? These sort of things. Um, then kindness, again, if anybody has worked with me, I... I'm probably sometimes too kind sometimes I could probably be a bit tougher on them but I've always found that that really works with the type of individual that I have who's very very hard on themselves and that sort of thing so um so yeah I suppose those would be kind of the main ones that are coming out coming to mind now for me where they'd fall in line with my own personal values but if you think about values generally they're kind of almost like our inbuilt sort of you know navigation system I suppose so we tend to kind of behave in line with our values or maybe our attitudes kind of are in line with our values whether we're aware of our values or not um so for for example I love to use my one of my best friends her she's just such a great example one of her her values that really shines through is honesty so like she's just this individual who she can't lie like she, God help her if if you see her trying to lie she's literally like shaking but she's also great in the sense that if you know that you need help with something or you want a really honest opinion about something you go to her and she's basically like nah don't don't bother 
where she's like, yeah, yeah, that should work. Whereas like, you know, an Irish way is like, oh my God, yeah, I do that sort of way. But for her, like she, she mightn't be fully aware of her values. Now we're, we're, we're both very aware of that and we laugh about it all the time. But that's a perfect example of how we behave and kind of act on our own inbuilt values. So it's almost like, I always find it really hard to describe what values are, but it's almost like these kind of inbuilt systems that we work work from, again, whether we're aware of it or not. Now, what can happen for a lot of people at times in their lives for various reasons is they might be in a situation where they're not living in line with their in line with their values. And just as I described there, when she's trying to lie, you can see in her physically, she she can't. She's almost like, it's like she's trying so hard to bottle this thing in and she's about to word vomit everything out that she's not meant to tell you, that sort of thing. And this is a really good example of somebody not living in line with their values and that potential kind of discomfort or misalignment, I suppose, that 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 comes up physically in the body. It might be that that extreme. But for some people, say, for example, um the pandemic was a great one so people who maybe had a value of freedom they really struggled because obviously we had no freedom during that time so in that sense there's a discomfort or um misalignment and food could have come in there as a, a way to to support that discomfort and now that could show up as restrictive eating patterns to regain some control that could show up as maybe overeating again to suit that sort of discomfort so yeah I think this can come up a lot for disordered eating and I'm not going to go too far into this I think because it's not my area but in mental health that comes up quite a bit and when we're not living in line with our values it can cause maybe other issues there but but yeah it's a big one in in disordered eating which is really really interesting and when you start to delve into it with people um it's almost like this light bulb kind of moment where it's like oh okay that makes a lot of sense um, yeah it takes a bit of work sometimes it can be really hard to figure out what your values are our values change a lot so um, as we go through life different life situations different life stages your values might change quite a bit so someone might have a value of freedom in their 20s then maybe they have a child in their 30s or 40s and security then or safety is really important because it's not about them anymore so so yeah I think that answers your question <laughs> how would you kind of go about so say when I first start working with a client I'd always ask them in their intake form like what are your values and you kind of always give them like an example list and I often find you end up kind of just getting what sometimes I'm like are these really your values we want I don't jump into it straight away with them but down the line I kind of always ask them their check-in form are you living in line with your values you know we talk about goals and stuff and I think over time then they start to realize like oh all them things that I said I thought was a value at the start you know now I'm actually really really thinking about it I don't know if that is a value or I just think that society made me think that that was a value so how would you kind of normally go about working with someone as towards you know what what they actually think their values are and how you would kind of ask them to delve a bit deeper into it yeah so I suppose I sort of approach it a little bit more subtly so I mightn't outright ask okay what are your values because what I find I don't know if you find this I'm a nutritionist people come to me and they expect we're talking about food we're talking about cutting this out like particularly for digestive issues it's like what foods do I need to cut out what am I doing wrong and then as we start to go along they start to realize oh okay it's not really about the food it's about more so I'm looking at wider aspects so I tend to leave that side of things a lot further down the line just because there can be 
a lot of times with maybe someone with digestive issues, there can be a lot of overwhelm. There can be a lot of stress. There's a lot of things going on. So you really need to start really basic and create, okay, this is where we're starting and then we'll start to build it. Sometimes I might not actually straight away, like I might even touch values at all because sometimes it's not always needed. Sometimes yeah. it's it's um something that would definitely come later down the line. But, and again, sometimes people are like, why the hell are you talking about values? Like I'm here to talk about food. So generally I'd kind of maybe think about, well, okay, we're maybe getting to a point where things aren't quite going the way we'd like them to go there's maybe somewhere where there's a real block and when there's a block it's like okay there's a block here because it looks like there's something block like again that misalignment with they're not living within their values so then it's like okay well let's talk about our values (laughs) and then it's like so we'll go through okay pick these maybe three to five out of your values list they'll pick them then we'll go through okay why is that and like you said sometimes when you go into the why it's kind of like um actually maybe that's not what I feel about that at all um but there's a really nice exercise as well where you get people to do uh what's it called um they're like peak experiences so if you you pick like three or four peak experiences so this is a really nice one for people who struggle to to figure out what their values are um, so it's like where what was like three really peak experiences in your life so this could be whatever age you are um maybe it's a I know for mine I remember when I was doing it I was like oh, I'm going to go through this and there was one was like my graduation one was um I think one was maybe when we won a final at my commodity team or something um I can't remember what the third one was but basically in those three three kind of situations the people around me the team the the connection that was really big for me so I was like okay connection or love whatever is obviously a big one for me um so that can be a really nice way because you look back and see those experiences where oh my god I really enjoyed that and this is why these people were here family all these sorts of things then all of a sudden it's like okay maybe it wasn't um success maybe it's family because all my my loved ones are there maybe it wasn't now that's not to say success is a bad value but you know that sort of way it's like you might think that that's one and then when you delve into a bit more it's like actually it was more about something else so yeah I think it really depends to answer your question sorry I think it really depends on the individual um it really depends where they're at where they're starting and what sort of their biggest struggle is and that would depend on when we bring that in sometimes you mightn't bring it in at all because it mightn't be necessary for others again it's a little bit of more exploring into that a little bit more if they're really struggling with something um but yeah it's a really really nice exercise and then once you become aware of your values um it may like things make a lot of sense I think and uh, it makes it that bit easier to live in line with those values that's so cool actually just when you said that like I started trying to think there of my three peak moments and I was just like Oh my god i'm gonna go and do this exercise later because you're so right like your values do change and i think um the thing for me was when i did start looking into values because we did eiq nutrition and they'd be big into talking about values and stuff like that but um i just remember when i actually did first do the exercise and started looking into it it made the only reason and i agree with you i think i find it's really important for me to kind of nail it down was it made me get a lot better at saying no to certain things because i was just like no i used to think oh i'm not doing this because it's not in line with my goals but actually it's because it wasn't in line with my values and that was way more empowering than saying this isn't in line with my goals so i think that for me was why that was really important but i'm so going to do this peak thing now because i really really like that idea and i'm oh, going to do because <laughs> so nice you you actually get a chance as well to look back 
back like we're still very young but you look back at even those few three to five you could do five if you want but you look back at these peak moments and you're like wow that was such a great day like and you're like the reasons why I liked it who was there what we did um and again it's going to vary differently it could be something to do with maybe you did an Irish dancing show or you won something that sort of thing and it could be about that like feeling of achievement or success and that that can be a really nice thing as well but it's just such a nice little exercise and then you look back and you, you get that you know when particularly for people when you're in that situation where everything's really difficult you're struggling with your with your digestion you're struggling with maybe whatever goal you're working on getting that moment to just take yourself out of the situation look back and see all those amazing things that you have experienced up until that point it's just really nice like nice little feeling I think and on the flip side of things on the visualization part of it like with regards to like meditation and stuff like that the power of like visualizing positive circumstances and how that can snap you out of the mood as well like on a total flip side of things that's just another benefit of doing it as well (laughs) Yeah. Um, okay, I'm going to get on to what's going to be a very in-depth discussion. And I am so excited about this because obviously I read all your posts and stuff like that. But like you are literally the gut expert and I have so many questions. <laughs> the gut brain axis, what is it? How does it affect us like mentally, physically, emotionally? I know this is a topic in and of itself and it's huge, but like I'm going to I'm going to just hit you with it anyway. <laughs> Yeah, God, the pressure. Uh, so I'm obsessed with the gut, so I'm actually, I love this conversation. Um, so if we think about the gut-brain axis from like a sort of scientific definition, and I'll go through the human definition after, but I think this sets us, sets us up nicely. The kind of science definition would be it's a bi-directional communication between the central nervous system and the enteric nervous system, linking emotional and cognitive centers of the brain with peripheral intestinal functions. Now, for you with your science background, I'm sure you'll probably understand that. To anybody listening who's like, what did she just say? Basically, it's just a communication bidirectional, which means they're both in communication with each other, communication between the brain and the gut. So our brain is very much driven by the central nervous system. You can correct me if that's wrong there. And our enteric nervous system is the nervous system within our gut. And that's lots of little neurons within the gut. And basically these two major organs are constantly talking to each other. So in terms of that sort of emotional connection to the gut, I'm going to tread on this really lightly because again, I'm a nutritionist. I'm not a psychologist or psychotherapist. So to put this very simply, if we think about various emotions can show up in the gut and my favorite examples are stress anxiety and fear and excitement for favorites so if you think about maybe you're if you've ever gone on a roller coaster when you're on a roller coaster you get to that really top peak just before you go to that like really like like drop, drop down or any sort of like fun fair sort of thing generally when you get to that top I don't know if you've experienced this, but I feel like my heart and my stomach both drop. And it's almost like I've just lost those two major organs. And then you're like, ah, going down. So that's like an an example of like fear, I suppose, showing up physically. Then another example of, say, excitement. Maybe you're about to go see your family that you haven't seen in ages. Maybe you're going on a first date, all these sorts of things. I I suppose with the date, it could be fear either. But... um, (laughs) But that sort of like, you know, butterfly feeling in your tummy and you're kind of like, oh, oh my God, I'm so excited. So that's like an, a really nice feeling. Um, then in terms of maybe stress or anxiety, if you're about to go and do um, a presentation, a job interview, if you're about to stand in front of 
I don't know, hundreds of people about to do an Irish dancing show, you get that sort of maybe like a different kind of butterfly in your tummy. And then you're kind of like, oh, God, I don't know if I need to go into the toilet 10 times before I get on. So those are kind of some examples of how those emotions can show up physically um, that I think people can generally kind of um, conceptualize or feel. So that's kind of that nice example of the gut brain axis kind of in action. So this is something that when we're looking at supporting digestive issues, it's really important to have a little look into. Because for me, when I work with individuals, a lot of my clients might suffer with anxiety, sometimes a little bit more severe, sometimes it's more kind of subtle every so often. Uh, a lot, a lot, I would say maybe 99% are quite stressed or overwhelmed. There's a lot going on. And uh, what we find is their chronic digestive issues are often very much linked to maybe their stress or their anxiety. So generally, when we think about stress, the word that everybody hates and none of us want to ever acknowledge or admit that we're stressed. I mean, I always do. I'm telling everyone stress don't talk to me but um stress is a really interesting one because it shows up in so many different ways and I think even since maybe 2020 there's a lot of stress for a number of different reasons all the different things that went on between now and and 2020 um lots of things constantly changing um so basically in terms of stress how this impacts the gut basically when we're in this sort of stressed state or the fight or flight state our body wants to prioritize all the energy for dealing with the stressors so if you think about the stressor now it's not going to be something too well I mean it's going to be pretty pretty stress, stressful but if we go back to kind of evolutionary times that stress response was to get us out of a, a life-threatening situation so this might be something like being met with a lion or a tiger or a bear wherever you live in the world and in that moment, your body is like, right, we need to get out of here. Either fight the bear, lion, tiger, whatever you call it, or get out of here. So in that moment, you need the body needs to really react really quickly. So that's the brain identifying stressor. Let's react. So we get this increase of stress hormones that drives blood flow away from the gut to the working muscles, increases kind of alertness, um, makes us stronger. So then we leg it away, go back to our nice little cave, and then we get to our cave or whatever little hut, wherever you're living, you're back to safety. That stress response is halted or we go back to our homeostasis and then everything comes back to normal. So in that stress response, the gut is basically not the priority. Digestion is not the priority. Food is not the priority. Our priority is safety. Get out of here. So to, to kind of put that simply, the digestive system is essentially kind of like paired off. So if you think about digestive juices aren't going to be flowing, we're not going to be, you know, gastric emptying is going to maybe slow down. This can kind of affect gut motility in two ways. So for some people, they might notice gut motility might increase and that might result in maybe loose stools. So that's where you get that, the nervy kind of poo before maybe a big presentation or all those things that we just talked about. For other individuals, sometimes that means gut motility slows down. So for some people, they might notice constipation or they might notice more bloating. So if we bring that caveman to now, 2023, we're generally not being chased by some sort of predator, but our stressors are coming in lots of different, different ways now. So that could be as simple as a work email from your boss. It could be something going on at home. It could be illness in the family. It could be a breakup. It could be 
I mean, what are we, we're not in a pandemic anymore, but there's enough going on in the world to kind of, if you turn on the news, you'd be stuck in that stress response for fucking hours. So, you know, there's lots of things going on and sometimes they're all coming at once. So your body's kind of like stress, 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 stress. And then sometimes you can get stuck in that sort of constant state of fight or flight to a point where we don't actually know any better. So that's why we say, oh, I don't feel stressed because maybe you don't really know what it's like to not be stressed. And that's what I noticed quite a bit. Um, and then you might, oh, let's do a little yoga class. And then it's like, oh God, okay, yeah, I was stressed. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, it's kind of that, that sort of, um, we're so used to being in this cycle of go, go, go. And a lot of the people that I work with as well, they might be working in high power jobs. They could be juggling families. They could be traveling all over the place. Like they're constantly on the go. They, they there's a mix between they can't stop because they're doing too much or they don't want to stop because they don't know what it's like to be still and um when they do finally stop it's like whoa I'm actually a bit tired and I was a bit stressed and then yeah so so yeah the digestive system then can get stuck in that sort of chronic state of fight or flight so constant kind of stress hormones coming at it disrupting normal gut motility they might have maybe chronic loose stools they might have chronic constipation and bloating and then sometimes maybe if they do get to that you know, let's say it's like a really busy weekend where they can't go to the bathroom and then they get to say the weekend where they've slowed down a little bit then all of a sudden it's like the bells don't stop and it's like what the heck like and you know so it can it can alter and again depends a lot on the person and what their stressors are and their kind of personal physiology but uh but yeah it's kind of one of those things that we don't one we don't want to face two we might notice that it's an issue and three when we do you know it's it's a bit of a okay this is what's going on but it's it's a non-negotiable we have to when you're working with digestive issues it can't be ignored because it's probably one of the main drivers that I see anyway as a nutritionist I think um like you're so right and I I actually I have a good few clients at the moment now who are dealing with very very high stress situations like they're gone back to do courses but they also have families and then they're working full-time as well some of them are working 60 plus hours a week and they're like I actually am so I don't even know if I'm stressed anymore I don't think I'm stressed and I'm like mm, okay but like I found that myself when I first launched my business first six months I did not take a day off I was bet my phone had all my notifications on I was replying to people all the time six months down the line was when I started breaking out in psoriasis all over my neck I've never had psoriasis in my life and I was out hiking with my friend and she was like that's psoriasis and I was like what she was like that's from stress and I was like I'm not even that stressed and then I was like oh my god I actually am but exactly like what you said and I think it's really really scary that in this day and age we are so caught in the trap of fight or flight that we don't even know what it feels like to not be stressed and I think that like you're a yoga teacher as well for me when I fall out of practicing yoga myself and say I go through periods of time where life is really busy and I'm not actually going to yoga classes or I'm not doing my meditation all of a sudden then I start to notice I'm like oh my god like I'm, I'm constantly thinking about the next thing I have to do I'm constantly looking at my to-do list I can't switch off and like it's really hard because this actually leads on really really well to the next thing I suppose I was listening to a podcast before and I can't remember who it was was talking about a stress bucket I thought it was such a nice way of talking about like how different people can deal with different levels of stress but equally some people are good at dealing with certain types of stress and other people are better at dealing with other types of stress but it doesn't necessarily mean that all that together one person is just better at dealing with stress overall but like do you find that people have different tolerances or like do you find what would your main tips be for stress management and actually for people who just 
cannot seem to switch off. I have a client at the moment who is after getting really, really sick. And she like, to the point she was kind of tipping away at things and we totally taken a break. I was like, you need to rest. You actually need to rest now. And like, she's gotten really, really sick. And I was like, you've just been running on fight or flight for so long now. Um, but she was like, I actually am really sick and I still cannot seem to switch off and relax. Like, so what would your main tips be for people who are in very high stress situations? Yeah, it's, it's really tricky because, um, you know, so like there's so many different factors that could be going on and sometimes as well we're not getting the full picture so you know there could be I mean like there could be financial stuff going on there could be things going on at home you know there could be so many things that has them switch on like that where you know you could it might be more you know there could have something happened a few years ago where you know there's lots of different things that can impact those things so in that situation I think it's kind of more about like with stress, you kind of need to find something that works for you. So I kind of like to approach this from like, if we think about, not don't, don't think of it like stress management because it's like, oh, for God's, God's sake, it's another thing that I have to take off. Yeah. And generally the type of individuals I work with, they're kind of higher achievers. They like to, they like to take things off. They like to achieve things. They like success. So again, if it's like when they, like I have this particular woman in mind and she's absolutely amazing. But again, it was like, tick box tick box tick box and then if one of the box doesn't get ticked you know we're down on the floor where the week has been horrible whatever so basically I kind of think of it rather than think of it as like stress management think of it as like okay well what do I like to do so for example maybe some people like to walk their dog maybe some people really like going out to meet their friend for coffee and uh, maybe some people like to spend some time alone just watching a movie like maybe some people like to paint it really depends on the person so it's like what do you like doing what is something that you find yourself just time goes by you don't even notice it like you're in that kind of flow state and how can you do more of that well maybe not doing more of it but how can you fit make more time for that I suppose so it's a case of like you really love painting is is it a case that maybe you could do that once per week and then maybe could maybe do it twice a week or that sort of thing so I think it's very much about like thinking of the things that bring you joy that make you feel good that those are things that switch you off those are things that take you out of that fight or flight and those are things that are going to kind of find that balance so maybe if your client there is like sick is it like okay well you're sick maybe you don't like being still but like what do you like to do and can you maybe use that time while you're sick if you've got the energy to maybe just kind of do that sit and watch a new Netflix documentary or um I mean you're probably not going to go walking or meet your friends and you're sick that sort of thing and I find a lot of the time when you make that shift as opposed to okay stress management versus the things I like doing it's a lot easier for people to get on board with because it's like okay well I like doing that I kind of want to do that but I'm I've had this excuse like I can't do that because xyz and it's like well why not like it's your life too you might have all these things to do like work I mean for us it's probably going to be more to do at work for other people it could be to do kids for other people could be to do it partners whatever you have and parents whatever that sort of thing but at the end of the day it's like the more you make that time for yourself the more you can give to everybody else and that can also be a, a really big the kind of typical you can't pour from an empty cup but when people see that's like you're right the more I give time to me the more energy and like joy I have to give to others and the more of a nice person I'm going to be and I'm going to feel good and that's going to pass on to everyone else like I did have this one lady a few years ago and when she started putting more time into herself 
even her kids said it to her her kids were quite young and they're like wow you're really nice to be around and she was like oh my god like I can't believe you actually said that out loud <laughs> you know that sort of way so um you know and she's just able to make time for them then and they're doing nice things together and um it was slowing down that go 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 by just kind of putting more into her so um yeah I think look up the things that you enjoy doing and see where you can fit that into your week and then work on that as opposed to I have to go sit and meditate when maybe that's not your your personality a lot of people can't don't like to be still so you're yeah. going to look at alternatives in that case but um yeah I love that I love that because I had a client actually and we I always find I don't know if you notice this but like whether you believe that everyone's a little bit connected or not I always find there's certain weeks and it's the same kind of themes that come up in that week with across the board and I'm like this is so weird these people do not know each other and it's the same kind of themes and I remember it was only like I'd say about six weeks ago that the recurring theme for everyone was that they were putting everyone else first and they weren't asking for help and I was like look like in order for you to be the best person for your family, for your friends, for anyone else, I was like, if you are not taking time to look after yourself and do the things that you need to fill your own cup, like, as you said, it is impossible to pour from an empty cup. And I always say, like, if I'm putting everyone ahead of myself and I'm not making time to do the things I know I need to do, then I'm not actually showing up the best for my clients. I'm not showing up the best for my family. I'm not present when I'm with my friends because I'm thinking about what I need to do. So I was like, you might think it's selfish by taking this time, especially parents and that they can feel very guilty about taking the time for themselves. But like what you said, and I had a client and she was like, do you know what? I got back into the garden this week and I was like a new person. And I was like, that's the thing. Like, it's just something about adding something into your week. And I think there's such, uh, like, obviously we're yoga teachers. So yes, we believe that yoga is amazing and meditation is amazing and all. But like telling someone who's not into this, oh, just do yoga and meditation when they've never tried it before. Like, that's just another thing that's just adding stress to them then until they kind of see the benefits and stuff like that of it, or they get into it themselves. Then I'm like, all right, okay. But just telling people, just go and meditate for 10 minutes and they've never done it. And they're like, I actually am more stressed than I've ever been now. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and like we know that mindfulness is so helpful for, you know, digestive issues, our relationship to food, body image, our mood, our stress levels, our anxiety, all these sorts of things. But that mindfulness can come in so many different ways. So like your client there, gardening is probably a really mindful activity for for that individual someone else might find jumping into the sea is quite mindful because you cannot think of anything else that's absolutely freezing or like going for a little walk just looking around or painting so like when we think of mindfulness I think the first thing that I know for my clients they're always like oh I'm actually going to say to start meditating but it can come up in so many different ways like I had a lady there the other day she was like kind of that like kind of low level sort of stress that's kind of in the back of her mind all the time so we're like okay well she loves walking her dog. She finds it easier to walk the dog. The dog helps her switch off more. So it's like, great, there's a nice mindful activity. Look at the cute dog, keep walking. And yeah, so it's like thinking of ways that that mindfulness can come in, but in a way that suits your personality and your uh, preferences. Because like you said, sitting in a room for 10 minutes when you have thousands of thoughts coming at you and you're not used to it, it's only going to add more stress and that's not what we want at all yeah and I think that was one of the things for me when I first started doing yoga actually I knew we'd end up segueing into yoga I didn't mean to do it yet but anyway. 
<laughs> but I think when I first started practicing yoga, like for me, it was very the physical thing about getting into my body. And I hated Shavasana and I hated the breath work and I hated everything I had to sit still. And I love the big, powerful vinyasa flows. And then over time, I got like really into it and like loved the Shavasana. I loved the yin yoga. I got really into like actually just not needing to move, but still being in my body. And for me, that's what kind of segued me into meditation, but it didn't happen overnight. And I think people feel this intense pressure when they hear mindfulness, like what you said, oh, so I need to start meditating. And I'm like, well, no, find something that's going to be the way for you to tap into the present moment and roll from there. I was like, for some people, exactly like what you said. Like when I go out for a walk, I just say like the simplest thing for me, I might listen to a podcast, whatever. But for the last, say, five, 10 minutes of the walk, I'll just take the headphones out and just walk. And I was like, that for me is a mindful activity. Do you know what I mean? Because I'm just like, right. And sometimes that doesn't actually mean that my thoughts aren't going. My thoughts are going 90. But actually, that's sometimes where I come up with great content in that. Because I'm actually allowing myself to think the thoughts instead of just being distracted all the time. So I think we have this notion that, especially when people first start to meditate or whatever, that they have to stop the thoughts. And I'm like... We have been on this planet for whatever age you are, and our brains are constantly firing and wiring to make connections everywhere. And you're expecting to sit down for five minutes and all of a sudden just be this Zen Buddhist just sitting under a tree with no thoughts. I was like, it takes so much practice. And I I said it on a podcast before, actually, I was like, for me, to be honest, when I am into my meditation and my yoga, I don't actually really notice that much of a difference when I'm actually in it and doing it. It's when I stop doing it. I realize how not present I'm being in everything else and how more reactive I'm being as opposed to being able to take a step back from situations. And that in and of itself for me is a way of dealing with stress. And it's not that in the moment I'm not taking on as much stress. It's my ability to handle the stress. And when I'm not looking after myself and I'm not doing these things, then all of a sudden my stress bucket goes through the roof and I drop a pen and I'm crying. <laughs> no. Yeah, I wish on that. It's like this fine line where it's like everything's fine, then it's like, oh no. <laughs> okay, don't talk to me. Everybody just get out. <laughs> it's like what happened? I dropped the pen. It's like, oh, yeah. oh okay, yeah. okay. That was the straw that broke the camel's back. I'm like, yeah, yeah, it was with my favorite pen. <laughs> yeah. And my boyfriend now is like, do you want to go, do you want to go do some yoga? I'm like, yeah, you're right. See you later. <laughs> okay bye but I did notice that actually over the summer and stuff like um before I went on holidays and had loads going on I was trying to jam way too much into the week and I try like for me my morning routine is like a ritual I have my meditation I do a bit of journaling like now I know I I don't preach about this because if I tell people who have four kids my morning routine and you see the influencers on Instagram I get up at 6am and I open the curtains and I make the bed and then I do this and I have my and I'm like yeah because you don't have anyone else to look after like and I'm very very grateful that like this is my morning routine but I also don't preach about it and go on and on and on about how amazing my morning routine is when people are literally like I had three hours sleep and I keep four humans alive every day like I really don't care about your morning routine or something like okay okay so it's all about things like that but for me I do find like if I don't take that time in the morning I'm not showing up as a good person for anyone for the rest of the day. So I was like, but it's just about finding what works for you. And exactly like what you said, what fills your cup and that's different for everyone. Like, so I think that's, that's amazing. Which brings me on to let's talk about the big topic. IBS, you are the queen of IBS and all things IBS. And any of my clients who have IBS, I always send them over to your direction. I was like, follow her, 
follow her and save every post and watch every post and turn your notifications on. They're like, okay, Teresa. <laughs> so chat to me about uh, what is IBS? What are the symptoms? How do people normally find out they have it? And whatever, whatever you think is important to talk about. <laughs> yeah, so IBS um, is irritable bowel syndrome. I throw that acronym around as if everybody knows what IBS is, but actually let's just talk about that first. So irritable bowel syndrome. Um, so this is a functional gut disorder, but it's now kind of been reclassified as a disorder of the gut-brain axis. So we already talked about gut-brain axis, so we won't get into that. Uh, but the symptoms of, of IBS can vary a little bit. It tends to be loose stools, diarrhea, constipation, bloating, um, cramps, uh, these sorts of things. <clears throat> so some people might be more predisposed to IBSD, which is one which is more diarrhea kind of related. IBSC would be more constipation related. And sometimes there can be a mix between the two. So again, depends a lot on the individual. Um, so in terms of how people find out, so generally you kind of notice people will find they start to experience more frequent digestive issues. Sometimes it can start with bloating, sometimes there's cramps, sometimes there's pain, and then sometimes there's a change in stool habits. And again, this can vary widely of why that begins. It can be genetic, it can come from somebody having um, something like gastroenteritis or an illness. It could be from after traveling. It could be, again, we're coming back to stress. Sometimes big life change and stressors can bring this on as well. So the diagnosis criteria is the Rome IV. I never know <laughs> with the Roman numerals. This is kind of the, the widespread known kind of diagnosis criteria. Um, so this is basically recurrent abdominal pain on average at least one day a week in the last three months and this is associated with two or more of the following so related to defecation a change in stool frequency or a change in the form or appearance of stool so just to put that into human terms if you notice more frequent kind of tummy aches or cramping and it's associated with maybe a change in stool frequency so if you're going to the toilet more often less often a change in the formation of that stool if it's more loose if it's more harder to pass or if you notice that those kind of tummy aches are related to when you're going to the toilet like you notice it more that oh and you really need to go to the toilet if it's once per week for the last three months generally with a kind of maybe intro of six months three to six months um that would be the diagnosis criteria in terms of diagnosis, we always have to go to our GP to get a diagnosis. I'd really strongly recommend never ever self-diagnosing IBS. And the reason is the symptoms of IBS cross over with so many other things that kind of can be a little bit more sinister than IBS. I'm not saying that IBS isn't, isn't serious. It's a really debilitating condition to kind of live with. But if we think of things like irritable bowel disease, so Crohn's disease or colitis, um, celiac disease, even bell cancer, other things like endometriosis. There's a lot of things that can cross over with these symptoms. So it's really important to speak to your GP so you can get the test to rule out all of those. Because in terms of say something like celiac disease, that's gonna, that's a intolerance to gluten. Every time you eat gluten, you're actually damaging your gut lining. So we really wanna make sure that that's ruled out. And then in terms of irritable bell disease, these are autoimmune diseases which are again a lot more kind of sinister and might require medication might require a little bit more kind of um investigation so it's really important to speak to your gp if you do notice a change in any bell habit so if you notice more frequently stools more frequent constipation tummy aches 
um, reflux, cramping, anything like that, speak to the GP. They can run their tests to make sure that there's nothing more serious going on. Big, big red flag as well. If there's any blood in the stool at any point, straight to the GP. Whatever you're embarrassed about, they don't care. None of us care. If there's blood in your stool, go to the GP and speak to them about it. They can run tests, make sure everything is okay. And then from there, IBS then, it's about management. You can't cure IBS. It's something that you do have to live with, but there are plenty of diet and lifestyle considerations that can really help you to manage that as you go along. Okay, because I have um, I have a few clients that have IBS and I think like one of the main things you talk about as well, and well, this isn't just for IBS, this is for like overall health as well. And I think it's something that, well, when clients first start working with me, I'm like, okay, right. So if they're coming from a background of not understanding nutrition at all, we'll talk a little bit about energy balance, about calories and stuff like that. But then we start talking about fiber and the importance of fiber. And this is only something that I realized when I studied nutrition, when I did EIQ. And I was like, wow, this is not something like that. We've all heard old calories and we've all heard them going on and on about protein, but it's not really as talked about as fiber. And do you want to talk a little bit about what is fiber, why it's important, recommendations, how people can get more fiber in their diet? Because my clients are always like, help. <laughs> I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah, well, I suppose a good starting point is fiber is your best friend. Um, whether you have digestive issues or not, I mean, it's it's just so good for you. So fiber is a form of indigestible carbohydrate. So I know for, for the people I work with, I obviously work with people with restrictive eating habits, disordered eating, that sort of thing. A lot of them like to maybe um, avoid eating carbohydrates, which is really limiting their intake of fiber. So obviously that's a whole other different conversation, which we can say we do if you want. But basically fiber is a type of indigestible carbohydrate. So when we eat eat foods that contain fiber, they aren't actually digested into our body. They Instead, it travels through our digestive system and ends up mostly coming out the other side. So now there are different types that we do digest, but we'll, we'll keep it basic to start with. But basically when we eat fiber, this helps to stimulate gut motility and keeps everything moving through. So really good for anyone who notices that they suffer with constipation, bloating, anything like that. And fiber also helps to soak up water and bulk out our stools. So win-win, whether you have diarrhea, constipation, bloating, fiber is your right. And the recommendation for intake is kind of 30 to 35 grams in Ireland. And the average intake at the moment, last time I checked was around 17 grams I think so it's quite quite a difference there um but basically you'll find fiber in foods such as your whole grains the whole grain bread pasta rice those sorts of things um fruit and veg particularly the skins of fruit and veg and nuts and seeds um all those sorts of things so getting a nice variety of those sort of foods into your diet is going to be a really nice way of getting getting more fiber in there now we know fiber is good for the digestive health. So it helps with that physical peristalsis, that physical kind of stool bulk, but fiber also helps to feed our gut microbiome. So all those nice, friendly, beneficial microorganisms in our gut, which do so much for us, they feed, feed off fiber. So the more fiber you get, the more you're gonna feed those guys, the more they're going to diversify, grow and thrive and give you all those nice benefits. And fiber is also associated with lower blood cholesterol levels. And when we look into the research, what is really cool is kind of those with higher fiber intake also have kind of 
uh, reduced risk of colorectal cancer, heart disease, and basically death from all cause mor mortality. So basically, it's gonna keep you living for a little bit longer. So uh, nah, that's a very uh, bold statement, right? But basically, it's really good for you. So whether you have digestive issues or not, like get it into you. Yeah. And what I kind of notice, um, some people who've maybe experienced lots of different diet plans over the years, maybe they've done um low carb maybe they've done different diet clothes maybe they've worked with maybe personal trainer a long time ago and um, when there's a big focus on maybe calories and protein we tend to see that their fiber intake is really low and they might come with these chronic digestive issues and it's it's literally as simple as okay you're taking about 10 grams of fiber per day if even and then we start to build, build you up slowly and then poof it's kind of done <laughs> yeah. but i think like just what you said there that was the most mind opening thing for me when I saw that when when I read that it was like about actually about the all-cause mortality like and the importance of fiber and I was just like how is this not talked about more like this is crazy I was like this is actually incredible like um but I think you're right I think this actually leads me on to something that I wasn't even going to ask about but you know what we've segued lovely into it, and it's one of my favorite things to talk about like the first thing to go, people are always like, do I need to cut out my carbs? And I'm like, stop demonizing carbs. <laughs> carbs are life. Let's talk a little bit about carbohydrates. What are carbohydrates? Why they are not the devil and why we do not need to cut them out of our diets. Yeah, another great friend. And honestly, every single like workshop I do, it comes up every pretty much, I'd say, I'd say maybe at least 90% of people coming to me have some, either they're not eating enough carbohydrates or they have some sort of uh, fear or whatever around it. And um, I love this as well when I work with people who play sport or they run or they're like looking to train for a marathon. It's like they're, they know they're eating, they should be in their carbohydrates and they, they're eating a certain level. <clears throat> and then when we look at, okay, well, how much training you're actually doing and we get them to a point where they're meant to, meant to be I suppose with their carbs it's like mind-blowing and the the performance and the recovery and how they feel it's just it's so cool um but to answer your question um carbohydrates are your best friend again they are our body and our brain's preferred fuel source so this is often why when we do low carb or try to cut out carbs we might find that we're really struggling to concentrate we might have brain fog we might be really angry or crabby and um, we might be quite tired because basically that's your body's most easily used source of energy you eat carbohydrates it's well in terms of the types it's gonna the digestion we're not gonna into that but basically this is the easiest form of energy that your body can use it doesn't have to work hard to convert maybe fats to an energy source it just has to use it as it is and that's why we tend to crave carbohydrates a lot as well because that's what that's basically your body looking for you to give it the energy it needs to support you so generally why people fear carbohydrates I don't know it's just there's so much <laughs> so I suppose over the years there's always a bad guy fats were a bad guy for a while there carbohydrates always come up in some form whether it's just you have to go low carb you have to cut out sugar you have to cut out gluten there's always some way that some sort of stupid I'm going to say stupid because it is stupid stupid diet comes out it's like ooh, let's just repackage this in a more sexy way that's going to be more related to the year there the decade that we're in and um basically it's just low carb every time but 
the reason we I suppose if we talk into the physiology of why people notice maybe rapid weight loss when they cut out carbohydrates because at the end of the day that is the reason that people do these diets or this is the reason why people go down this route we have a few different aspects so number one when you cut carbohydrates you're generally going to be cutting out a lot of different types of foods so that's maybe going to be like sweets it's going to be confectionery um baked goods um my personal favorite pan of chocolate any of those kind of things um you might be like looking at reducing bread into well bread isn't going to cause fat gain but you know anyway you're cutting out all these different foods and um first of all the science side of that is you're reducing your calorie intake reducing calorie intake generally will result in fat loss depending on the individual and their needs so regardless of whatever foods you cut out when you cut that calorie intake poof you're going to lose weight so it doesn't matter whether it's a carb whether it's fat whether it's a protein then secondly when we think of more deeper into that I suppose you're looking at me now I know you're you know exactly what I'm going to say um so basically when we eat carbohydrates we use a certain amount and then anything excess is converted to glycogen, which we store within our muscles. And each gram of stored glycogen holds three grams of water. Is that right? I think it's three, yeah. I was trying to remember that actually when you were saying that. I was like, three? Uh, I haven't had this conversation for a while. But uh, but basically, you have, you know, that's a gram of um, a gram of glycogen stored with three grams of water then if we can hold up to say about 500 grams of stored glycogen at any one time then you're looking at yes 1.2 1.5 grams of water so overall you have two kilos of extra weight yeah now this weight is not body fat it's just weight when you stand on the scales so obviously then when you cut out carbohydrates you're going to be cutting out that store of glycogen which isn't ideal because that store of glycogen will back you up on the days maybe you haven't eaten enough or particularly if you're active, that stored glycogen will get you through a race, get you through a training session, get you through your matches. So not ideal for the active ones. Um, but when you remove that, so you're taking out whatever amount of stored glycogen you've got, you're reducing that weight on the scales and that's where it looks like it's rapid weight loss when actually it's more to do with maybe water and stored glycogen as opposed to body fat. So that's why generally when we start off maybe on a low carbohydrate diet, first week or two, you're like, wow, this is amazing. Like I've dropped so much weight so quick. We're all hyped up. We're all delighted. And then it starts to maybe lag, whatever, slow down because you're actually getting to the point there where, okay, maybe now it's you're tapping into body fat stores or the calorie deficit might be becoming your uh, maintenance, that sort of a thing. So then that's really important to remember that um, when it comes to carbohydrates, it's not always about the body fat. It's about what's going on within the body. And um, overall, they're a really important nutrient. They are a source of our energy. They're a source of our fiber intake, which we already discussed is your best friend. And basically, if you're eating enough carbohydrates, you're going to be able to perform longer, to perform better, to recover better. And overall, in the long term, that's probably going to stand to you more, whether you're looking for performance, whether you're looking for fat loss, whether you're looking for digestive health as well. That's always going to be a really important one. But it overall, like when we look at look at it in the long term, keeping the carbohydrates in there, it's just going to overall make you feel better and probably get you the results that will last longer. And happier. <laughs> Let's oh, not no. forget happier. <laughs> yeah. 
But you know what's another thing as well is I always say to clients as well when they first start, I was like, I know everyone thinks protein for recovery, but I was like, carbohydrates are part of your recovery as well. And they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I was like, they're also part of your recovery. I was like, you have to top up like your glycogen stores and stuff like that. So I think when they start to see it for what it is as energy and our main fuel source and stuff, and they kind of step away from the scales and step away from seeing weight loss as being indicative of fat loss and things like and that's I think a big eye-opener for people is and my main way I always I go on and on and on about this but I don't think I can say it enough is the best way I love to explain to people about weight gain weight loss fat loss fat gain whatever and is I talk about creatine I'm like, right. So when I was not taking creatine, I was a kilo lighter on the scales. I was like, then I was taking creatine. I was a kilo heavier on the scales, but my measurements were down, which means less body fat. I was like more tone, more muscle definition, but one kilo heavier on the scales. Why? Because creatine retains water. And I think that for some people, like for me, that was the main thing that clicked because I just found like, ah, okay. So then when I start talking about carbs and retaining water and the menstrual cycle and retaining water, they're all like, oh, so I think I was working with a client actually. She's, she's still with me now. She's been with me like over two years, but I can't remember how long we were working together because you know yourself, sometimes you have to just keep saying things and saying things. And one day she just messaged me and was like, oh my God. I think I get it about the fat loss and weight loss thing now. <laughs> she was like, you said one thing differently and it just clicked with me. And I was like, mic drop. <laughs> that's it. It's just different analogies and something will click with some people. But I think that's really important. And I don't think we can talk about it enough because I know we know it so well. But I still, like, same as yourself, like probably about 90% of clients that come to me, like they'll be like, am I eating too much carbs? And I'm like, no, you're probably not eating enough carbs. <laughs> Um, which brings me on actually quite nicely to, right, so say nutrition for if fat loss is the goal, obviously with health at the forefront, if you had to give your top tips on how to create a nice little balanced meal, if someone's tracking or not tracking, doesn't really matter, how would you advise them on how to structure a meal? Yeah, so I really love to use a sort of balanced plate sort of visual. Um, I very much like a visual sort of learner kind of person um so whether my clients are or not they're getting it but a nice way to look at it is you have your plate and that could be a bowl for some meals people always put me off on that one but you have your plate and I always think of those three macronutrients so you have our protein we have our fats we have our carbohydrates and when we think as well really important to remember when we kind of spoken quite a bit there about how a lot of people like to cook carbohydrates sometimes people like to cook fats when we think about those three three macronutrients as macro meaning large we need them in large amounts for health so it's really important that we are consuming all of them so if you have our little bowl or a plate we're looking at maybe about a third to a half of that coming from carbohydrates um the half is probably going to be more appropriate for someone who is quite active then about a, a third yeah a third of that should be about from your carbohydrates so potatoes uh, rice, pasta, oats, um, bread, definitely the bread because no one wants to eat bread, but we're still talking about it, <laughs> all these sorts of things. Um, so about a third of your plate coming from that. About, mm, it's probably less than a third, about generally a palm-sized source of protein for your meals and your snacks. That can be a nice way to look at it because that is 
a nice serving for your body. So for me, I have teeny tiny hands. I'm a very short individual as well. So I'm going to need a little bit less than maybe a six foot five rugby player. So using your hand is going to be a nice, nice gauge for protein intake. And then we want to be looking at maybe half of the plate coming from a, as much kind of fruit and veg as we can. That's going to support your fiber, your micronutrient intake, vitamins and minerals, and then maybe a smaller amount of fats. So maybe they kind of say a thumb sized portion of fats, but when we think about maybe like oily fish, that's that's going to be a really small sort of serving of oily fish, even though that's going to be your protein source. But like things like your oils, your nuts, your seeds, um, that sort of a thing. So yeah, I think nice colorful plate, looking at your about half of it coming from veg, about a third coming from your carbohydrate, then smaller portion for your protein. That'll generally be a nice way to view your meals. Simple as that. We can really overcomplicate these things. But then if we're looking at maybe three main meals and then two to six snacks per day, depending again how active you are, uh, what you're doing every day. If you're a mom, you're probably going to need some more energy as well to run after all the children. So that can be a nice one to look at. I love that. And I love when it's actually just broken down in such a way, because especially if clients aren't tracking calories or anything like that, I have like a little PDF that's kind of exactly like what you said. It just shows using your hands. And I was like, and look, you're not going to need this PDF forever. But if you can get used to being like, there's my protein source, there's my carbs. Can I add some fruit and veg to that a little bit of healthy fats? I was like, and that's it. And I was like, and don't overcomplicate it. So then when they start thinking, oh my God, but what if I'm eating out? I'm like, literally just look at it and say same thing now look you're not going to have control over the portion sizes and stuff like that but i was like it doesn't need to be so complicated and i think i just think of i always put myself in the position because i think we forget when we do know these things that there's certain things i put up that thing i don't know if you saw it on instagram yesterday about the olive oil and it's not to freak people out like i was like olive oil is amazing i was like use the olive oil but i'm just showing you the difference between covering the pan or actually being like that's 10 grams or whatever and the amount of messages I got that were just like oh my god like uh, that's literally it like they were like I don't even think about it and I was like this is not to get people freaking out about calories I think like for me it was just like the simplest thing of knowledge is power of being like oh wow that's 100 grams of pasta whereas before I would have put my plate like I would have done everything the opposite way as I do it now I would have based everything around the carbs so I probably would have had about 200 grams of pasta which nothing wrong with carbs at all but I just would probably be like I know I'll leave out the chicken then so there was no protein in it there was no fat in it because of course I was like oh my god fat is the devil because I used to think fat was fat and all these things just so and I wouldn't even be feeling as satiated after the meals there'd probably be no fruit and veg or and I just think now I was like compared to how these simple changes made such a difference in my life and I think the more we can spread a message that it doesn't need to be so complicated the more people can feel a lot more empowered and I think that's amazing um okay my last question because I'd keep you all day and I suppose this is kind of a tricky one but I suppose it's just coming up a lot um and you talked about it a lot at the start as well as like relationship with food and emotional eating and stuff like that do you have any like tools that you use with your clients or like journal prompts or anything that you kind of use or what would your top things be yeah I actually just wanted to say one last thing actually about the that just popped into my mind there as we were talking for the perfectionists in the room because I know plenty will be listening I see them every day in terms of those when you're making your your meals remember that there will be situations where you can't do that and it, you might eat out and that mightn't be the meal that you can plan for and just go easy on yourself. 
always look for that sort of imperfect action approach. Do what you can. And if you can't have a protein source at some point, that's fine. Just eat. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. I love that. Actually, because that's literally real. I was like, oh, my God. Yes. No, that's what we need to say. Because I'm always like imperfect action is better than perfect inaction. And then I end up down a rabbit hole and I'm like this, this, this. And I'm like, practice what you preach. <laughs> When, and I definitely practice what I preached in Italy. I think I lived off pasta. Yeah. There wasn't a tap of protein in there. I just wanted a rabbit all the time. I was like, bruschetta, fab, gelato. Yeah, yeah. it's like, what is protein? I don't think my muscles yeah. had protein for 10 days. I was like, but life was great. It was fine. <laughs> I had a good time. But like that, you'll have those situations like your holidays where like eating habits and your your meals are completely out of your hands and just surrendering to that and enjoying where you are enjoying the food like holidays are so nice to try the local cuisine getting inspiration for meals maybe when you come home so I know that's a huge one that comes up for me with um individuals going away there's a lot of panic but again just surrender let it go once you come back you'll be back in routine and it'll be fine um to come back to your question sorry I got I thought that was like has to be said um in terms of emotional eating um it's an area I'm really, really passionate about, work with a lot. And again, it can kind of vary between individuals. There's lots of different drivers there. Um, in terms of the kind of, I'd say, top three tips, I would say, firstly, you need to ensure you're eating enough. This is the, the biggest one that I see with people who come to me. Um, they're not actually eating enough during the day, which is then driving them to eat in the evening. And the reason this happens is Every single day, our body needs a certain amount of energy to support us. If we think about before even thinking about going out the door and doing whatever we do every day, just to survive, we need a certain amount of energy. And this is about 70 to 80 percent of our overall energy need. And basically what your body is going to do is if we think of the survival. It's like your heartbeat, breathing um, your brain. Your brain is a really hungry organ, takes about 20 percent of your overall calorie intake every day. So keep keep thinking of your lovely brain. Um, what tends to happen is if we undereat during the day, our body's like, okay, cool, that's fine, grand. We can kind of support you through whatever energy store we have. Generally, it comes to a point there where it's like, okay, no more. I need I need energy to eat or to to keep you going. Give me something. A nice way to think about this is in a car. If you're driving along in a car on maybe half a tank, you'll get so far until it gets to a point where the fuel light's coming on and it's flashing at you until you pull over. If you don't pull over, it's just going to stop. Game over. Obviously, our body's not going to just stop. You probably won't die, but it's going to get to a point where that fuel light is going to keep ringing at you. So that's like the hunger. That's the low energy. That's the grumpiness. That's the, the low blood sugar. And then all of a sudden, we're not in control anymore and our biology is in control. And that's where you find yourself out of control, face first in the fridge, trying to get anything that you can into you because your body really needs that energy. And this is something that's really important for people to understand because they can beat themselves up about having that loss of control towards the food when actually that's just your biology making sure to look after you. So when we, we learn that sort of thing, it can kind of take a little bit of pressure off. And a really lovely way to help you and your body is by creating a nice regular eating pattern during the day. So if you're maybe skipping breakfast, maybe you're skipping lunch, you're only having dinner, of course you're gonna be hungry in the evening or hungry at the weekend. So look at creating that routine by having your breakfast, having your lunch, having your dinner. A lot of people are gonna need snacks in between those meals as well, depending on what you're doing every day, particularly if you're active. You're gonna need between meal snacks. So we need to look at re-approaching our view of what snacks are. Um, 
seeing them as a good thing to nourish our body get that energy in and that can be a really really simple way of you know losing a lot of trouble or approaching the problem so once you have that in place then it's looking at well if i'm emotionally eating we need to look at the emotions what sort of emotions are driving that um, and I appreciate there's only so far I can go with that. But generally, the most common sort of emotions I see are overwhelm, stress, anxiety, loneliness. Um, these sorts of things come up quite a bit. So we want to look at, OK, what about these sort of things? What is driving that? Um, is it a case of maybe joining a club if you're feeling lonely or making some time to see friends? If you're feeling stressed or anxious, what's driving that? Is there a way of approaching that? And um, if you're feeling overwhelmed, is there a way of delegating the things that you need to do? Um, and obviously it's not that simple. It's going to take a bit of time, but these are kind of the overarching things that we'll look at. So yeah, journal prompts are of, often going to come in there as well, because those kind of journal prompts help us to explore that emotional side of what's going on. That can take a lot of time, can be quite hard when we're not used to naming or feeling our emotions. So a lot of the time in emotional eating, um, the act of eating food helps us to avoid approaching our emotions and to suppress the discomfort of the emotions that we're feeling um it can come up in happy emotions and maybe not so happy emotions so just to kind of put that in there too um so yeah journaling is going to be a really helpful tool there might be quite strange to begin with but it can really be a quite an eye-opening um exercise to really help you get to the root of the driver of that generally it takes a bit of time the the act of eating more can be quite overwhelming because a lot of the time people might want to you know, if I eat during the day, I know I'm going to emotionally eat in the evening. So I want to try and balance my food intake by making space for that by not eating during the day. And actually that's driving the habit. So if we can, again, review that approach, swap it over, you'll notice then that you actually, the hunger side of things is covered. Once physical hunger is covered, it, it solves a lot of problems. Um, so yeah, looking at it from that kind of two-pronged approach and then the journey is always going to come in there at some point to, to really explore the root of that habit I love that and I think um a lot of the time especially people I'd see with like younger kids and stuff like that he'll say oh I'm an emotional eater and the first thing you ask them is like well what are you eating during the day and they're like oh I don't have time to eat during the day and I'm like well maybe you're not emotionally eating maybe you're actually genuinely absolutely starving like I can't go like an hour hungry only I cannot function like and I can't think straight and I was just like I think we always seem to overcomplicate everything sometimes it's like some have you actually thought are you actually eating enough and sometimes that's life-changing for people to actually sit down and try and have three meals a day that's such a game changer from them and yeah of course sometimes it is deeper than that and it is emotional and I think something I'd, we're getting better at it but it's still something I think we struggle with a lot is actually being able to label our emotions I started reading this book um Atlas of the Heart Brené Brown's book and it's just amazing like she talks about all of the human emotions but she talks about things from like a, all different aspects and like about even it makes them so clear to like label them and stuff like that even things like hope and stuff and I'm always like sharing little bits of it with my clients and stuff like that because I was just like I think something that's the most empowering thing to do is, and actually I was watching another video of Mel Robbins last night and she's talking about the most disempowering thing is to keep telling everyone you're fine. She was like, you're not fine. She was like, label your emotions correctly. And it is going to be one of the most empowering things because 
actually it's perfect trending time with what happened with Lewis Capaldi over the weekend where he actually just spoke out about how he was feeling and like when he did that people held space for him and that came in there like yeah that was just so amazing to really show that yeah when you speak out people are there to help you they want to hear and a lot of the time when you start that conversation like you might be chatting away with a friend like actually you know I'm feeling quite overwhelmed they're like oh my god me too you know and then you've got that nice dialogue to help each other out or sometimes they're fine and then they're there for you so yeah yeah and I think it is it's I think um something I came to terms with and I think it's because we had this whole like grind harder strong independent woman society thing going on for a while and all of a sudden I was like hold on vulnerability is a superpower like if someone comes up to me and they actually are just so fair and honest with how they're feeling or if they're struggling like I want to be there to help them I want to be there to hold space for them like how are people ever going to know how you're feeling if you just keep going I'm fine I'm fine like people and then people get frustrated that other people don't know what they're going through but I'm like we're not mind readers like we have to get better at labeling our emotions and I think like especially when it comes to relationship with food and stuff like that and relationships in general you have to get better at labeling emotions. So I think that's probably like what, and it doesn't come overnight. You're so right. Like I still bottle things up sometimes and all of a sudden I'd be like giving advice to my clients and all of a sudden I'm like, wow, I needed to hear that today. (laughs) It's like, damn. So I think that is, I think it's an amazing tool for relationship with food, but it's also an amazing tool to just get better at with time. And I think so another thing that kind of yoga and meditation was like sitting with the uncomfortable feelings and stopping to shy away, stop shying away from uncomfortable feelings because they're there for a reason to show you something too. Sarah, I could talk to you all day, but I realize we are way over the hour mark now and I am so sorry. I was like, okay, nurse pack it there. That's a nice place to leave it. Very inspiring with Lewis Capaldi and all over the weekend. Thank you so much for coming on. For anyone who wants to follow you, where can they find you? Instagram, website? Yeah, so um, I'm most active on Instagram. So my Instagram handle is at f.i.g underscore nutrition underscore. Um, my website is www.fignutrition.ie. And um, yeah, you should be able to contact me through both of them. So if you want to ask any questions on the back of this, I'm always open to the chats. Um, and yeah, hopefully the, the conversation was very helpful. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, and we have to meet up for a coffee soon. <laughs> <laughs> Take this in person. Wow, that was just amazing. Oh, I learned so, so much from that. And I hope you did too. As I said at the start, if you like this episode, please, please, please feel free to share with your friends, with your family, with your work colleagues. It goes such a long way in helping small content creators like myself get an incredible message out, especially with these amazing guests I've had on the last while. Um, as always, your support is very much appreciated. And I will be back very, very soon with episode nine. Oh my God, we're nearly on episode 10. I'm so excited and I'm so delighted to be back recording podcasts and actually have the time to do it again. I hope you are enjoying them too. If you have any questions, my DMs are always open and there is ways to contact me down in the description below if you have any queries. Or if you have any ideas of guests you want to see on the podcast or episodes you want me to talk about, I think I have a really juicy one coming up next time. So stay tuned for that. Have a lovely week. Bye.